live from Southern California, this is the Jim Rome Show. And I want to say about last night, like last night there were some really weird vibes. Weird vibes in the association and not in the way that weird is good. Normally weird is good, but not last night. Last night weird was bad. Weird was weird and weird was bad. Like spraining your ankle in the layup line. Weird. That kind of weird. Kevin Durant is the guy who found out the hard way. So let me start right there. KD is all set to make his big Phoenix debut. He's played three games in a Suns uniform, none of them on his new home floor. So last night, Suns fan was all hyped, all geeked, ready to finally get an in-person look at their new superstar and their new super team. They were all about it until they weren't. Until KD actually went down in pre-game warm-ups. Now, it didn't look like much at the time. Stayed down for a minute. Got back up. Continued with his routine. But then it only got worse. And he missed the game. And he ended up leaving the arena in a walking boot. Never a good thing. Then it got a whole lot worse. It got worse when the Arizona Republic reported, quote, There is concern within the organization that Durant has a grade two sprain, which would keep him out between four and six weeks. End of quote. And one of the ultimate, uh uh-oh. Dude suffered this injury in warmups before his first game in Phoenix. If that turns out to be true, that timeline, that would mean KD is going to miss the rest of the regular season and maybe even some of the postseason. Like, one thing for this guy to go down. Quite another for him to go... Like, one thing for him to go down, right? Again. That happens to that guy. In fact, pretty frequently. But quite another for that guy to go down in pregame warm-ups... How's that grab you, Suns fan? The same Suns fan that showed up for a party last night, only to have that party raided and broken up before it even started. And then potentially postponed four to six. Weeks, not days. To borrow a line from Luka Doncic, quote, it's not good. It's not good. No, it's not. And yes, that was Luka postgame last night. Let's move on to the next thing. Luka also had a rough night. He left the Mavs loss to the Pelicans with a non-contact thigh injury. And if that sounds like that's not good, it's because that's not good. Luka confirmed as much after the game. It's not good. No, it's not good. So we'll know more about that after an MRI. But it seems very possible that KD and Luka... We're about to miss a chunk of the final stretch of the season. So, really a rough night for KD and Luka and Mavs fan and especially Suns fan. However, as bad as it was for all the aforementioned, I don't know that any of them had a worse night than referee Ben Taylor. In fact, I know for a fact that nobody had a worse night than referee Ben Taylor. Because referee Ben Taylor got absolutely roasted like no ref has ever been roasted before. Seems to be 
that Fred Van Vliet is pretty tired of Ben's crap. Because Fred unleashed an epic post-game tirade for the ages. I'm talking about a waterfall of liquid magma. And it wasn't just Ben Taylor. Nearly the entire ref show took some lava straight to the head. And my man was lashing out like nobody's business. But not lashing out in the moment either. Like Fred knew exactly where he was. Fred knew exactly what he was about to say. And Fred knew exactly what the consequences would be for saying it. And still, dude let it rip in a takedown of the ref show for all of time. I mean, I don't mind. I'll take a fine. I don't really care. I thought, you know, um, Ben Taylor was f-ing terrible tonight. Um, I thought that on most nights, you know, a couple other, you know, out of the three, there's one or two that just f-ed the game up. You know, and it's, it's, it's been like that a couple couple games in a row. Um, Denver was tough, obviously. You come out tonight, you're competing pretty hard. The third quarter, I get a bullshit tech. Changes the whole dynamic of the game. Changes the whole flow of the game. And, um, you know, most of the refs are trying hard. I like a lot of the refs are trying hard. They're pretty fair. They communicate well. And then you got the other ones who just want to be dicks and um, just kind of f- the game up. Nobody's coming to see that. Sh-. They come to see the players. And um, I think we're losing a little bit of the fabric of what the NBA is and was and um it's been disappointing this season um you can look up most of my texts this year have been with ben taylor officiating so at a certain point as a player you feel it's personal and um it's never a good place to be that's not why we lost tonight we got outplayed um but it definitely makes it tougher to overcome my man goat (laughs) this guy's the goat Find me a more measured, better, lava-esque takedown of the ref show. Hell, of anybody anywhere than that. (laughs) Thanks, Alvin. My man immediately goes to the head of the line. (laughs) I, I can't begin to tell you how epic that is. And how many times I can listen to that. I could sit in my office and listen to that on a loop all damn day. This is not a dude after the game, on the floor, after getting jammed at the last second and somebody puts a mic in his face. He's up at the podium, measured, deliberate, intentional, knows exactly what he's saying and what the consequences will be and does not give a damn. To which I would say, I mean, he starts off by saying, like, I'll take the fine. If you're going to take a fine, you better make it count. That's how you take a fine. That's how you make it count. And that's going to be one hell of a fine. Like, I wouldn't even know how the league office would go about calculating what that's going to cost. Let's just say that whatever the amount is, our dude got his money's worth. In fact, we ought to all pick up this guy with a GoFundMe account because that is some of the greatest content ever created or uttered by a pro athlete at any time in any sport. Like, that good. I'm not overreacting. That was that good. In fact, I hate to say it, I don't think we need to concern ourselves with the start of the smack-off season. 
I don't think we need to worry about the actual smack-off season at all because I think our dude just won it. My man, the five-girl that goes to the winner of the smack-off is yours, Fred. I know that it will not begin to cover the fine that you're about to get hit with, but at least you can apply it to whatever ears dings you with. Quote, most nights out of the three refs, there's one or two that bleep the game up. Quote, most of the refs are trying hard and are pretty fair, but then you have the other ones that just want to be penises. Except he didn't go with a penis. We just want to be dicks and, um. I mean, the dude is just saying it's so a matter of factly and calm, composed, collected, measured, meticulous. Quote, nobody's coming to see that bleep. They're coming to see the players. And by the way, he's not wrong. I've said it a million times. If you're a ref and we know your name, unless you're the legend that is Gene Steratore, that's a real problem. That means either you're not good at your job, you jacked something up terribly, or you made it about yourself or all of the above. But either way, he's right. No one is throwing hard-earned jack to watch you officiate. And the last thing you should want is for any of us to look at you or know who you are. And now thanks to Fred, everybody knows who Ben Taylor is. If you didn't before, you do now. And believe me, Benjamin, that is the last thing you ever wanted. I mean, look at this week alone. Jordan Poole got teed up for bounce passing the ball to a ref. Van Vliet's Raptors got screwed in Denver on Tuesday when Scotty Barnes got ejected for the first time in his career with 28 seconds left in a single possession game. Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. That effectively decided that game. Nobody's coming to see that bleep. And that probably explains why Fred was ready to drop a nuke or all of the nukes all over the ref show yesterday. Love to see it. Love to see it. <laughs> Love to see it. Well, ears doesn't, but I know I do. I just thought my dude's been saving up for that fine. It's coming his way. He's going to need a Brinks truck to pay that one off. But like I said, that dude's smart. It's a smart dude. He knew exactly what he was doing and what he was saying. I wish there were more guys like that. I wish there were more players who didn't, quote, mind taking a fine. We need more players telling refs and maybe other players to stop being penises and bleeping up the game. Now, clones, I do know you. In fact, I know you better than you know you. I know what you think before you think it, so let me save you the trouble, clones. Dear Rome, the real question is, it happened in Los Angeles, but Fred plays for Toronto, so does he pay this fine in the U.S. dollar or in Canadian currency?
hey, Rome, what is the current exchange rate? And if he does pay it in Canadian currency, for instance, how much denim does one F-bomb cost? the game up. Is it like 10 pair of jeans per F-bomb? How many Canadian tuxedos per F-bomb? Is a D-bomb, because he got off one of those too. We just want to be dicks and um. Is that like one denim jacket? Or is it an entire case of maple syrup and a slab of round bacon? If that's the case, why not light the refs on fire every single night? I'm sure James Kelly is running a few pigs as we speak right now. I know he'd donate them to the cause. You pig. Because my man, Fred, you just did the one thing that I ask of myself and everybody else listening and watching this show every single day. What can you do to make it better? You, my dude, had an answer. And you made it all the much better. So, before I go to break, if you're keeping score at home, the leaders in the clubhouse, well, the professional athletes ref rants clubhouse, are Fred Van Vliet, the current leader for the NBA. He joins Joey Bosa, who was last season's NFL leader. Getting dragged to the ground, whatever, could hurt me along with screwing our team. And yeah, um, maybe some of them weren't as blatant as I thought, but um, I don't know. It's, uh, I think there just needs to be more accountability on, uh, I mean, if I say something to them, I get a $40,000 fine, but if they blow a call that ruins an entire team's season, they're probably back in the locker room after the game, like, I got that Oh yeah, got him. 15 yards, what a loser. I guarantee it. That's what they're talking like in the back. Um, whatever, power trip. I'm sick of those people. I'm just about my third F-bomb so far. Sorry, but man. Oof. I, I don't know what I like better like that. Like stoner, chilled, laid back, tirade, like three F-bombs. Or the fact that, you know, I was ready to anoint Freddie Van Vliet as the absolute king and icon. But you know what? Like, like Joey, he's in the same conversation, dude. Like, he's, he's bleeping right there. That's still incredible. Like, so good. Yeah, God, we, need we need more of that. We need more of that. We need more of that. Both those guys. Legends and icons. All right, so there is your bar. Anybody in the NBA... Can anybody in the association get anywhere near what Fred just did? Doubt it. I would say, and this is for the nerds and analytic crew, I would say that FVV has about a 99.9999999% win probability for that takedown of the ref show. Close the book on that. MLB, you're up next. Looking forward to the baseball season. That is an absolute amazing takedown. And if you think that's the only time I'm playing that today, you got another thing coming. Good on you, Fred. Whatever it costs. 
I mean, how do you calculate the fine on that? That's got to be a million-dollar fine, right? That's got to be like a $5 million fine, right? That's got to be every bit of denim, maple syrup, round bacon, and $5 million of U.S. dollars, right? And worth every last penny, even though it's not my round bacon or syrup or denim. Hey, Fred, thank you, bro. That was incredible. 1-800-636-8686. Also, the cat, Tiger Woods, thanks you. Otherwise, I would have started there. Hey now, are you craving some protein after a good workout? Do not make a shake. Do not eat a bar. Reach for a bag of beef jerky from Old Trapper. Old Trapper beef jerky is tasty. It's tender. It's made with real strips of steak and quality spices that are smoked over a wood fire. And it goes wherever you go, to the game, to the gym, to the beach. Look for Old Trapper in the Clearview bag. You can see the quality you're buying that way. Look for it in major retail stores near you. And clones, if you don't see it, just ask for it by name because no other jerky compares Old Trapper, what is your beef? We are joined by the head coach, Amir Abdul-Rahim. Amir, it's great to have you on. How are you? Jim, I'm doing well. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm doing great, coach. Great to have you on. So let me lay it out for those who do not know. You pulled off one of the most miraculous turnarounds in the history of the sport. You were 1-28. and 1-28 in, in your first season, and you won 26 games this year. You earned the school's first-ever NCAA tournament berth. I mean, first and foremost, how insane is that? And then secondarily, how did you pull that off? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty insane based on, uh, you know, especially the way collegiate sports are today. You know, uh, one, you don't get that amount of time. You don't get four years to turn it around anymore. Uh, going one win your first year, five wins your second year. Uh, but that's a testament to our, our leadership we have here. Our president uh, is great. Our AD is big time. And they saw uh, the vision that we had and um, gave us time to, to, to see it through. And, and really, Jim, to be honest with you, what we focused on, we were really intentional uh, after that first year about the people, the, the kids that we brought into our environment, who we recruited. And, uh, you know, man, it's really a testament to these guys. This is a group of kids that, you know, they won six games, you know, in two years, but they didn't leave. They didn't run from, you know, what's hard. They didn't run from uncomfortable. If anything, they ran towards it. And that's why we sit here today at 26-8 and eight and can call ourselves the regular season and conference tournament champions of the A-Sun. It's such a great response. There's so much in that. But as you point out, still, even after year two, you had just five wins in that second season. For those who are not familiar with the program, when you consider the opportunity, what was your philosophy in going about building it? For instance, did you see it as a trance or as a portal job? Or did you lean towards making it a developmental program? How were you going to build that? You know, the one thing I would tell people, you know, like if the challenges don't excite you um, about any job, you know, don't do it. Right. But when I came here four years ago and I saw the challenges uh, that, that that were in front of us, man, they were really exciting. You know, Kennesaw is kind of tucked away, um, you know, about 30 miles north of Atlanta and people didn't, you know, they had never heard of it, you know, but that was a that was a great challenge to, to you know, get them to see, you know, what a great place it was. So. You know, when we uh, when we took over again four years ago, you know, we um, you know it was about the people we put our in our environment, but more importantly, it was about setting a foundation. You know, people talk about that one win season. You know, Jim, honestly, we won that year. Um, it didn't show up in the win loss record, but it showed up because we set a foundation um, of a culture, expectation, and a standard 
um, that was going to sustain over time. Um, I, when I took the job, I didn't want to make it, you know, one of these quick turnarounds. You know, you can go get Juco kids. You could go get kids out the portal. And those are – they're good players. Some of them are good kids. But I thought this was a job that you had to build with high school kids, kids that you got young, kept them together, and they got older together, right? And now we're sitting here now with a group of kids. They played, I want to say somebody told me, over um, 95 games together. And it's the reason why you have success. You know, it's the law of the farm, man. You know, you plant the seed, you water it, you reap the harvest. You know, it's, it's only one way to do it if you want to do it where it sustains over time and you can try to do it year in, year out. It is the law of the farm, Amir Abdul-Rahim. The thing is, though, the law of the farm, it does take time. It does take time. Was there, if, we're being, if we're being real, was there not a point, though, after a year or two where you thought to yourself, man, I, I know that I've got the support of the administration, but this is hard, and maybe there is a shortcut. Maybe we hit that portal. Maybe we get a little bit older. Yeah. Did you think about that? Were you tempted at all? A hundred percent, man, a hundred percent. But as a leader, you know, it's again, it's about the people you put in your environment. And uh, we all need eyes to help us see ourselves. And, and my associate head coach, Ben Fletcher, guy I've known, I played against him in college. I've known him for over 20 years. Um, i never forget. I said, hey, man, let's just go get older, man. Let's go just get as talented as we can. And, man, he looked me dead in my eyes and he goes, nope, that's not how we said we're going to do it. Right. And he said, that's not how you said you were going to do it, man. I'm here to help you, but I'm here to remind you of what, what your vision is. And, and, you know, I think at times, you know, to be, you know, if you're competitive, you want to, you want to try to maybe find that shortcut. But again, when you're a part of a team, like a real team, a real family, and I come from a big family, I'm one of 13 children, right? Like we need people, you know, my brothers and sisters have helped me uh, get here. Ben helped me stay the course. You know, he, he pushed me to, you know, stay true to the vision. And, and man, I'm so glad and, and blessed that he did. I mean, you beat me to it. I was going to ask you about that family. You are one of 13 siblings and one of six brothers to play college basketball, which is amazing in and of itself. Sure. Your older brother, Sharif, of course, played 13 years in the NBA. He's now the president of the G League. I have yes. to ask, I mean, when you consider that family, I got to know about your father. He passed away a couple of years ago. Yep. What was Pops like and how proud was he of not just you and your brother, but all of yep. your brothers and sisters? Man, man, my pops, he was the best, man. You know, uh, every sport you could think of, I think they put us in, he and my mom. You know, from, you know, we all played basketball, but I can remember Sharif being a baseball player. I had a sister who ran track at Berkeley when Sharif was there um, playing ball. My older sister, Amina, she played at Clark Atlanta University. And so I could go on and on. But my dad, you know, he was always the one. He, he, you know, you could, I can hear him right now and say, hey, man, let's go to work. You know, that was his thing. Your feet hit the ground in the morning. It's time to go to work. And, and when you go to work, you be the best version of yourself every day. Um, and so that foundation that was set for us, I tell our kids here at Kennesaw all the time, we're not coaching basketball. We're coaching life. We're teaching you life through this game. And I tell them all the time the same thing my dad told me. The same work ethic I take to this game, right, as a player, would be the same work ethic that I take to whatever I decide to do outside of it. Just so happens for me, it was, it was, bad. It was coaching basketball. And so that same work ethic, when I wanted to get, you know, 300, 400, 500 extra jump shots up, man, it's the same thing when, you know, I get tired, man, I got I to gotta watch that extra, that extra film or do that extra breakdown to make sure our kids are being put in the best position, you know, to, to be successful. And again, you know, I'm an extension of my father. I'm an extension of my mother, man. And, you know, ultimately an extension of my family. And I just want to make them all proud. We are talking Kent State 
Kennesaw State basketball. Amir Abdul-Rahim is the head coach. I got chills hearing that. I'm a 58-year-old man, and I got chills hearing you say, the pops would say, let's go to work. When your feet hit the ground in the morning, that should be the first thing you think of, let's go to work. Let me ask you this. I know that you keep and listen to a voicemail that he left you after you lost that first game as coach at Kennesaw State. What did he tell you on that call, and why do you find yourself going back to it time and time again? Man, Jim, that's a great question. Um, you know, when we lost them, you know, you're you're always trying to find little things, you know, just to kind of hold on to them. Uh, and and man, I, I'm fortunate I don't delete my voicemails. And I was just going back, you know, kind of cleaning out my voicemails one day. And um, man, he, um, I, I saw the, uh, I listened to this voicemail from, and I think it was like from our first game after we played Creighton, and and, and he simply said, "Yeah, man, that's just one." You know, that's just one, man. Yeah, you're doing it. But I see you in some years. They belong to you. All right. They belong. He said, they belong to you, big fella. You know, he said, you know what to do. You know where you've been there before. You know what to do. Just lead them. And I listened to that voicemail. I listened to that voicemail every single game this year. That was like part of my, my game day routine. Um, and, and, you know, I had listened to it before, but it just resonated differently this year. Um, and, and, and even at the beginning of the year, it wasn't when we got to a point where it was like, oh, something special can happen. I just remember, you know, being at Florida, you know, before our first game, listening to that voice message. And, you know, I write on my, on my play card every game. You know, I say, uh, have fun, coach the response, and I put dad spirit. And that just is it's a reminder that, you know, our kids, man, they're out there trying hard, you know, and coach the response, do it with a great spirit. And, and again, I, I, man, I strive, my, my hero is my dad, man. I strive to be him. Man, that is beautiful. That really is beautiful. Amir Abdul-Rahim joining us. So before you go, let me say this. I went to a school. I went to UC Santa Barbara. And when I was there, Amir, we had never been to the NCAA tournament. I know what it feels like to get that bid for the first time. And I was doing radio broadcasts. And I've had this long, long career in radio and TV. But literally some of my favorite moments of my entire life is when my alma mater got that call for the first time when former NBA or Brian Shaw led us there. It was incredible. I know what the players, the students, and the fans in with you must be feeling like right now. It's incredible. So let me ask you that. How do you make sure the players stay grounded and focused and prepared for the challenge ahead? What has your message been to them? So, Jim, to be honest with you, it hadn't had the message haven't hasn't had to come from me much. Um, we're a player driven program. Um, Alex Peterson, Spencer Rogers, our two seniors, along with Terrell Burton, um, our starting point guard. And these guys have done an unbelievable job all year of echoing um, the message I gave to them, kind of middle to you know start the middle of January, and that was headphones on. And what what that means is it say stay focused on us, right? Stay focused on the things that have gotten us to this point, and let's focus on continuing when they get better you know each team that you coach uh every year it's different right and i told this guy i told the guys this i said i want this group to do something special so in order to do that we have to keep those headphones on so it's just like yesterday in practice you know we came out with our first practice since we had played on on sunday and um the first 15 to 20 minutes of it it was good but not as sharp as it needed to be and terrell burton he stopped practice he said hey man get focused get focused on each other let's connect our voices so that we're so we get locked in not individually one person so we get locked in and to be honest with you, I, it's the reason why we've had success this year is because they lead. 
they drive the culture and the standard now. And, you know, as a coach, man, that's, the, that's, that's all you can ask for. Oh, that's a dream. As a coach, that's the best thing ever. So a final thought, like one of the great things about Selection Sunday is the reaction videos you always see of the teams and the players when the brackets yep. are released. You guys are doing this differently now. You're inviting the fans to join your team at the Convocation yep. Center to watch yep. the selection show to see where you're going to go dancing. What do you yep. expect that scene to be like as you share that historic moment with your fan base? We're in this really beautiful and unique community in Kennesaw. Like I said, it's tucked away, man, up here, up 75, man. You know, you know, before before this year, we weren't really, you know, if you were a basketball fan, you know, you had to go uh, probably downtown to the Hawks game to, to get a good brand of basketball or entertaining basketball. So with this being such a historic moment, you know, our president, Kathy Swag, she's been here for 20 years. You know, we want her to share in it. There have been people that lived in this community that remember when this, this campus was just two buildings that we want them to share in this moment. So for us, it's about community. It's about campus. It's about everybody being, you know, a part of this historic moment. You know, we're just a, a piece of the fabric that goes into this uh, community, and we want to represent it well. So it's going to be an awesome moment. I think if it's anything like the last month of games have been, it's going to be electric in here, and uh, I can't wait for our guys to experience that. Man, good for you. It's really exciting. In his fourth season, again, he was the A-Sun Conference Coach of the Year. They shared the conference title with Liberty. They won the conference tournament, and now we wait and see where they end up going. Amir Abdul-Rahim, my guest. Amir, so good to talk to you. Appreciate the energy. Appreciate the insight. Appreciate it all, man. You made it better. Thank you very much. No, thank you. Thank you for having me on, man. It was awesome. Discover credit cards do something pretty awesome. At the end of your first year, they automatically double all the cash back that you've earned. That's right. Everything you have earned doubled. All the cash back from eating at your favorite restaurant doubled. All the cash back from that trip where you sort of learned to snowboard also doubled. And the best part, you don't have to do anything ridiculous to get it. Discover does it automatically. Seriously, though. See terms and check it out for yourself at discover.com slash match. So on the one hand, you've got good news for Tiger Honks. Well, good news for some of you Tiger Honks. Bad news for those of you who still break out the red polo a couple of times a year, thinking that the cat still has another major in him. However, good news for you Honks that are way more interested and obsessed with how he jacks up his life off the course as opposed to anything he could still do on the course. Because while it's still too early to tell how bad this is, He has stepped in it yet again. And he's getting dragged through the tabloids yet again. And yes, incredibly enough, it involves yet another significant other. His ex-girlfriend, Erica Herman, is looking to nullify a non-disclosure agreement that she alleges he made her sign back in August of 2017. So obviously, she's got some things that she wants to get off her chest. She's got some things that she wants to talk about. And he apparently wants to make sure that she doesn't say a damn thing. Given how badly this dude had already jacked up his personal life previously, I mean, all the hush money, all the mistresses, all the Perkins waitresses, the wrecked marriage, the wrecked Escalade, the escorts, companions, all of that. All of that is the reason he had her sign the NDA in the first place, right? 
you know, sign this so we won't be in the position that he's in right now. That's why you have NDAs, right? Apparently that didn't work. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. It didn't work in the sense that we don't know exactly what she has to say. But obviously something. And it didn't work because he wouldn't be in the position he's in right now if it didn't work. So she obviously has a lot that she wants to talk about. And obviously there are folks that would pay her a lot of money to say exactly what she wants to talk about. And there's a lot of people that want to hear what she has to say. Now, here's what she's alleging. Again, we don't know what she really wants to talk about because there is this NDA. And she wants a judge to throw it out. But here's what we do know. They had a six-year relationship. They lived together. And she is alleging that he tricked her into leaving the mansion one day, telling her that she was going on vacation, only to have her arrive at the airport and realize that he had locked her out of the house, said she could not return, and she alleges that those close to Woods removed her personal belongings from the residence and misappropriated in excess of $40,000 that belonged to her and, quote, made scurrilous and defamatory allegations about how she obtained the money, end of quote. She also alleges that they had an oral agreement which allowed her to live in that mansion five more years at the time that he allegedly locked her out of the house. Again, this is what she's alleging. We don't know what's true and what's not true. You know, for instance, is this dude as scummy as he ever was and learned nothing at all from the past? Or is she a jilted lover that is just looking to jam this guy and get the bag? We don't know. We just don't know. Nor do we know how a judge would view this case. But this much we do know. In the very least, the optics are bad because this dude is once again getting dragged and it's on the back page of the tabs once again. Long after we had all assumed that he had gotten all this nonsense out of his system. Long after we had assumed that Tiger had settled into a relatively tranquil, peaceful, family first, no drama, no Perkins waitress existence. Well, by the way, she was the manager at a restaurant he owned. I don't know why they broke up. I don't know what happened here. I just know that he may have stepped in it yet again because he's getting dragged yet again. Maybe she made it all up. Maybe she's the problem. Could be. I don't know. But let me just say this. If what she alleges is true, and by the way, she might be some gold digger and making it all up, but it is kind of hard to give this guy the benefit of the doubt, is it not, given his track record? So if what she says is true, and that he tricked her into leaving the house, locked her out, had her belongings removed, and told her not to come back. If that's all true, if that's how he handled the end of that relationship, man, that is some kind of scumbaggery. Again, she might be a scorned lover. Maybe she's just coming for the jack. 
Either way, dude, handle your personal life. Maybe the relationship did blow up. It happens. It happens to us all, eh, Tyg? Happens to us all. But, dude, can you not, especially who you are, and given what you've already gone through? Yeah, it happens. And what you've, the positions you put yourself in, can you not at least be buttoned up if a relationship does dissolve? That's private. Can you at least handle it properly so it doesn't get splashed all across the back pages of the tabloids? you think this dude would have learned his lesson after wrapping his Escalade around the tree back in the day. And especially after his rig jumped that curb in L.A. a few years back and he nearly lost his leg and maybe even his life. And especially given that this particular girlfriend reportedly helped him rebuild himself physically, emotionally, and mentally after it happened. If she's telling the truth, and I don't know if she is, But if she is, there's got to be a better way to end that relationship than tricking her into leaving the mansion, changing the locks, and leaving her stuff on the curb. If that's what happened. And by the way, if that's not what happened and she's making it all up, man, I can't wait to hear the cat's version of how it went down. Because the fact of the matter is, this version of Tiger Woods is so much more interesting to me than the one who shows up a couple of times a year looking to make the cut in a major or two. I mean, I am shocked that this guy's involved in yet another splashy scandal, potentially. But if I'm being real, it's still way more interesting than anything this guy does on the course now, isn't it? Guys, keep yourself tight and feeling confident with new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant, reformulated with 72-hour sweat and odor protection and one-quarter moisturizing cream. Stop worrying about your underarms so you can be present for the moments that matter. Do not let underarm insecurities keep you at arm's distance from the ones you care about. Buy new and improved Dove Men Plus Care Antiperspirant with 72-hour sweat and odor protection wherever personal care products are sold. You know the ground rules, beef, about anything you want, and I will get to the written beefs after we roll a few calls. Let's start in Boston. Love it. Boston. Cliff, nice to have you. Cliff, what is your beef? Jim, my beef is with people that come up to the intersection, press the walk signal, realize there's nobody coming in their direction, walk across the street, go on their merry way, and then... All of us in all four directions sit there for 45 seconds and wait for the light to cycle back around again. I feel you, Cliff. I agree with that. I agree with that. Nobody likes that. Nice job, Boston. That's my half fam. I'm a half chowd. I love Boston. Love hearing Boston check in. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Oregon. And again, my favorite thing about the beef segment, we get calls from every state and Canada. We go to Oregon, Evan in Oregon. Evan, what's your beef? Romy, uh, first, War of Mirror, that was a great interview. But my beef is being on two weeks of vacation to hang out with my son, and everyone wants me to cook them dinner. I'm a damn good chef, and I love smoking meat, but come on, man. Uh, War my boy, Hunter, and War Cindy. (laughs) War Cindy. Cindy's not here to hear the war because we're not on TV, but war Cindy. An unwar everybody expecting you to cook every day on vacation because you're a damn good chef. 
636-8686. Yo, Evan, way to shoot your shot, brah. You might be a little old for her. Way to shoot your shot, though. Let's go to Virginia. Mark in Virginia. What's cracking, Mark? What's your beef? Hey, Hemi. I hope I don't start a border war here, but my beef is with drivers from North Carolina left lane. Look, I know you love the left turn circuit down there, but you know what? You don't need to be the unofficial pace car of the left lane on I-95. You know, when you see someone on your tail six inches from it and flashing their brights, pull over, get to the dealership, get that giant magnet removed from your left door that's sucking you to the left guardrail, and get your ass out of left lane. War Alvin the Audio Witch. Out. I like it, dude. Nice job. Rack him. So far, so good with Rack the calls. Him. You never know what you're going to get. Generally, it's a mixed bag. But sometimes you get some momentum and you get some energy and they start to feed off each other and it's contagious. So far, so good. 1-800-636-8686. We've had certain days during the beef segment where they were so good that we didn't have any written beefs. It's rare, but it's possible. And it has happened. Let's go to Philly, John. What's going on, John? What's your beef? Jim, my beef is with me. Hey, John, in Philly, you hypocrite. What's wrong with you? You go after Big Head and you, you bite the hand that feeds you, you moron. You made it worse. And now reset and get your head out of your behind. Go listen to Stuck Nut 100 times. Figure out how to make it better. Sorry, Jimmy, you had to deal with that jack. I like it. Rack him. That's a guy who's owning it. That's a guy who's about accountability. That's a guy who said, I've got a beef with myself. Hey, John in Philly. John in Philly just addressed himself as, hey, John in Philly, stop being a jackass. Well done, John. Well played. That's a very different sort of beef. Let's go to New Orleans. Like I said, think about this. We've gone Boston, Oregon, New Orleans. I love it. The beef is a national phenomenon. Everybody has beef. We go to New Orleans. Steven, what's going on with your beef? My beef is with a stinky coworker. The fact that I can smell you from across the warehouse is pretty devastating. Here's a tip. Stop wearing the same pants for 60 days in a row. Wear some deodorant. You're almost 40. You're a man. And, the, and HR hasn't done anything with you. Makes me want to puke. Wow, dude. Incredible. Across a warehouse. Do you want to know something? I once had an issue with that at a station early in my L.A. career. You know what it was? It was high atop hot dog on a stick. When I worked there, there was an engineer who was a good dude who did good work, but my man, I, I don't know what it was. I don't know if he tried and it didn't work. I don't know if he didn't try, but my man had a hellified funk. And I didn't, you know what? I didn't make a thing about it, but then the owner of the station said, hey, I got to ask you something. Is there kind of an issue with like, like this guy's BO? And I said, there's not kind of an issue. Yeah, yeah, dude, it's... It's taking the paint off the walls, man. It's burning nostril hairs. It's Slider. yeah, it's bad. 
You stink. So anyway, I feel you, dude. It works out. Ultimately, hopefully. You got to hit that with a fire hose. HR might have a problem with that. 1-800, that, that dude was not happy. You know that you're not using soap frequently enough unless you have some sort of issue physically if they can smell you from across the warehouse. Back to the phones. Let's go to Ed in San Antonio. Hey, Ed, what's your beef? Hey, Jim. Yeah, my beef is my mobile device eavesdropping on me. You know, we've all had it. You're talking about something within earshot of your phone, and then the next day you're just inundated, big word, with all these robocalls and pop-up ads. Maybe that explains why James in Portland gets all those pop-up ads for paper towels and tissue. Come on! Uh, 1-800-636-8686. Jock is working furiously. Ed makes me laugh. I just like the way he sounds. I like the way he sounds more than I like what he says. But he's got a funny sound. He's got a funny sound. All right, so let's see what we got here. Let's see on the phones. We're going pretty well. Let's go to Portland. Ray. Good to have you, Ray. What's going on? What's your beef? Hey, Rome. Yeah, I got a, I got a beef with hard-headed, hard-of-hearing guy. Too proud. Won't go to Costco, get a hearing aid. It's always, what's that? Say again? What'd you say? I've had enough. Wow, dude. That's harsh. <laughs> I've got a beef with too proud, hard-of-hearing guy. He's too prideful to go to Costco and get a hearing aid. So I've got to listen to, what's that? What'd you say? I can't hear you. I don't know, dude. He can't hear. I don't know that a Costco hearing aid is going to fix that. Let's go to Memphis. Rowdy. I already like it. I already like it without knowing what the beef is. Rowdy in Memphis. Rowdy, what's going on? What's your beef? Here's my beef. My beef is one up your people. Hey, you tell them a good joke. When you get through, oh, I've already heard it. Hey, I played golf today, and I hit a drive 280. Yeah, I hit one 290. Uh, hey, I'm going on my first cruise ever. I've already been on 10. Hey, dude, shut up. I feel you, dude. I mean, that's, that's pretty selfish. They don't give a damn what you're talking about. I'm surprised they even know what you said in order to one-up you. What they're doing is they're waiting for you to finish bumping your gums so they can tell you a story. We all know somebody like that. Every single group has that one person. They don't care. They're not giving you credit. In no way do they care who you are, what you are, or what you did. They will one-up you. He's right. One-up you guy sucks. Let's try the ABQ. Notice we're going all phones. Sean in the ABQ. What's going on, Sean? Romy, what is up? What's up, dude? What's your beef? My beef is with that one random friend that all of us have that show up to watch the fights at your house, walk in with their nice, expensive pack of slits, throws it in your fridge, drinks all your good beer, brings a canister of popcorn, Christmas holiday popcorn from like 1980. 
eats all your food, and then at the end of the night, go has the guts to go back to the fridge, grab his six pack of Schlitz, and leave. What's up with that? Wow, dude, that's a that's a reason to go. That's not just a beef. That's a reason to go. That takes some brass set of nad. You bring a sixer of Schlitz, you don't get into it. You drink the host beer, and then you leave with the sixer that you brought? And you brought popcorn from 1990, but you got into their premium grub? That is incredible. I was thinking about this. I was thinking about a guy that I knew that used to leech rides on private jets. That That's you know, a level of nad that I... I can't even fathom. You, you know what it would take? It's one thing to hitch a ride to the airport with somebody. That's even a bad analogy. Talking your way onto somebody else's private jet is incredible. Like, I, in, in a million years, I do not have that in me. I don't like asking anybody for anything, really. Hey, man, you cool if I come on your private jet? You, you mean that private jet, jet that probably costs 75 grand? For us to get from this destination to the next? Yeah, feel free, man. No problem. Exactly. What are you pitching in? My my company. My incredible personality. That So imagine Schlitz guy showing up with a sixer of that, drinking your import and leaving with it, and then multiply that by eight zillion, and you have private jet hitchhiker guy. Well, keeps a private jet. 1-800-636-8686. Let's go to Sacktown. Ryan. Hey, Ryan, how are you? Doing well, JR. Hey, my beef is with fallacious mission statements. For instance, the city of Riverside is committed to providing high-quality services to ensure a safe, inclusive, and livable community. Livable? <laughs> Wow, Ryan, you're too much, dude. He went and researched the Riverside mission statement. We know Ryan and Sacktown's brand. He's here to kill the likes of Riverside, Fresno, Bakersfield, all these other, Hemet, all these other cities that he thinks are beneath him and that he lives in a place that's like Bel Air, Beverly Hills, the Palisades, Montecito. When he lives in Sacktown. In Sacktown, don't get it twisted. I love you. But this dude mocking Central Cali and other places is a bit much. He he just laughed in your face, Riverside, from Sacramento. <laughs> Who else, Chuck? I, I know I'm going to regret this. Larry, it's Larry's brand, right? He does parodies. He rips off other people's songs and then turns them into his own crappy song. So this is his brand. So now he's going to rip off the idea of somebody who called earlier that succeeded. Essentially, Larry is doing a beef parody, but not a song, I don't think. What the hell? We'll find out. Larry, what is your beef? Jim, I really hate to agree with John in Philadelphia, but I want to apologize to Kathleen. 
I don't know who this lady is. She's probably very nice. She's obviously big bones. And I apologize for absolutely nothing because she's a cocaine cougar who's snorting her litter box. You don't like that call. I don't like that call. Not a very good call. So you know what you just did, Larry? You lied to us again. You no longer parody Larry. You're lying, Larry. I already hit you hard for lying to us once to get on the air. You lied about what you wanted to do. Chuck bought it. We put you on the air and you screwed us. And you just did it again. And nobody thought that was funny. Your brand, dude, is that you're a pathological liar and you're not at all funny, Larry. So if I was pissed before, how pissed am I now? Larry, you are this close to getting blocked. Literally three strikes and you're out, liar. You're a liar and a soon-to-be jungle felon. Of course, I'm speaking of Bud Black, buddy. So good to have you on the show. Bud, how are you? I'm well. Great to be on, as always. Bud, you got to talk to me. First and foremost, how did you spend your offseason? What did you do to reset and recharge? Well, uh, you know, uh, Jim, in Southern California, uh, we have a great opportunity to recharge because of the weather. Uh, That weather in Southern California, as you know, is a big boost for all of us. But, you know, when... You know, life changes uh, as you go on. I'm now a grandfather, so having some grandkids around the house helps you recharge a little bit. That that youthfulness of playing with youngsters is a you know is, is therapeutic in a lot of ways. But you know, baseball is never far out of your mind as a you know as a as a manager or a coach. But you know, Jim, a lot of the usual things: a little bit of travel, uh, some grandkids, a little bit of golf. Uh, you know, just time at just time at home. You know, we travel so much. The time at home gives you a good opportunity to reset. I get that, buddy. You got to plug back in. You got to plug back in, and the grandkids obviously are going to give you some great energy. You mentioned it as a coach or a manager. You're never really that far from it. So spring training has been such an integral part of your entire life. How good then does it feel to be back in Arizona and back at work with your guys? Well. Spring training is a is a wonderful time of the year for those of us in, in in baseball. There's always the the hope of a of a great season, of a successful season. And Jim, as you know, I mean, you sort of the same timeline as me. I mean, forty something years, uh, forty three spring trainings for me. Uh, and you never know how a season's going to play out, right? We don't know who's going to win the World Series. We don't know who's going to make the playoffs. And that's the beauty of it. I think, uh, you know, there's some odds uh, stacked against certain teams. Other teams are favorites, but I've been around too long to know that great things can happen to, to, to teams that are, that are underdogs, for lack of a better word, and we're hoping that uh, – that's the case for us here in Colorado. Well, that's the truth. You never really know. And I'm going to talk to you about what you have right there. But I want to ask you this, bud, because you're the last guy to ever, ever, ever make it about you. I know you won't do that. You know, I'm just going to say it for the record because you and I are good friends. We've done this so long. You're a hell of a good dude. One of the best guys ever, in fact. 
But I want to be clear about this. You're a hell of a good manager, too. One of just five active managers with 1,000 career wins alongside Dusty Baker, Terry Francona, Buck Showalter, and Bob Melvin, all great managers. If I had said to you, Bud, when you first made the transition from the bump to the dugout that you would do this job long enough and well enough to post 1,000 career wins, what would you have said? Well, uh, Jim, going in, that wasn't my... Uh, you know, my aspiration uh, when I got off the bump was to stay in the game. In what capacity, I didn't know. Uh, I took a, a sort of a five-year window to figure that out, right? Whether I was going to go into broadcasting, whether I was going to go the executive route, uh, whether I was going to stay on the field. Uh, and I took a stab at all of them. And uh, uh, the Indians offered me a, an opportunity to do you know, two of the three to coach and uh, see what it would be like to be an executive. And once I got the uniform back on and talking with players and working with players and teaching, that's when I knew, you know, my lot was to, to be on the field. Got a great break uh, to, to join Mike's social staff in 2000, along with uh, Joe Madden, Ron Renneke, Mickey Hatcher, Alfredo Griffin, great baseball men that that really sort of helped shape, you know, my future as a, you know, a potential manager. But, you know, I was very content uh, being the pitching coach in Anaheim. We won a World Series. We went to the playoffs a few times. Uh, you know, that was such good stuff in Anaheim in those years. And, again, the opportunity to manage came up, interviewed a couple different places, wound up in San Diego, and, and here again, probably uh, the next best, the next best thing to playing is, is, is managing and coaching. And here I am. So been, been very, uh, very grateful and fortunate to be one of 30 over the last 15 years and, uh, and never take that, never take that for granted, the responsibility that comes with that. We're talking to Bud Block. I know this every single day you bring that to the yard. You know, when you think about being one of 30 and one of 30 over the last 15 years, Bud, the world has changed. The game has changed. Players have changed. How much has your job changed in the last 15 years? Well, it, it's, you know, it, it has changed. It, it's, uh, you know, it's a situation where I think the, uh, the organizations, right, all 30 of them, you know, have their own have their own dynamics. And I think I can talk to all 30 of us and we can, you know, talk about each other's situations. But, you know, what's changed, I think, Jim, is the expansiveness of the baseball operations department from at the executive level into scouting, into player development, into analytics, uh, into PR staffs. I mean, there's just a lot of employees in baseball operations. And I think as a manager, you connect with all of them. Where I think, you know, a generation ago, or for sure two generations ago, it was a, it was a pretty small operations on the baseball side. But now it's pretty expansive. And I think you really have to be up to speed on what's going on in pretty much every department, right? Whether it's the you know, the, the public relations side, the data, the data side, uh, player development, scouting, it, it, it's expansive. And I think that's the thing that uh, encompasses our job more than anything, just the, the tentacles that, that, that we're connected to. But the, the game itself is, 
has changed somewhat, right? How we use pitching, uh, you know, and now just more, more recently how the, you know, these, these changes, the, the pitch clock, shift restrictions, bigger bases, all those things. Players are basically the same, Jim. They really are. I think players are players. I mean, uh, you know, that hasn't changed a whole lot. But, you know, all the other things I think have have been, you know, I, mean, I think in a lot of very good ways have been progressive and have been good for the game. But I think that's a great answer. I really appreciate that. That was very expansive, and I think you did a great job of relaying exactly what it's been like and how it's changed. You mentioned the rule changes, but I talked to Dave Roberts and I talked to Bob Melvin both recently about some of the rule changes, the ones that you talked about. They expressed their support early on. Now that you've started to play games with the bigger bases, but a pitch clock and a shift being banned, how do the changes feel to you so far? You know, I'm, I'm, I agree with... Uh, those two fellows uh and i've known bob for a long time and you know dave is one of my good friends but i think uh in our conversations amongst these others here in spring training i I think we're all the managers are are really in favor of what's going on we didn't know what to expect but i think the pitch clock is uh, is going to make the game move at a tempo that i think the fans will uh will be more involved in I think the uh, the shift restrictions. I think there's going to be more. There's going to be more base runners. There's going to be more runs scored. I think that's evident here in early spring training games. I think the bigger bases will, and the and the disengagement rule. The you know the throws over to first base or, or pitchers just stepping off the rubber. I think those are that's impactful. So I think there's going to be there's going to be more action on the bases. I think I think stolen base attempts will be up. I think team uh, team speed, team defense is going to take a uh, a major shift in priority when putting a roster together, and I think these are all these are all good things for the game. So I'm I I was for the pitch clock for the longest time. Uh, you know, the bigger bases sort of threw me for a loop a little bit, but it's not it's not that drastic of a change. And the and the shift restrictions I think have. Uh, you know, are, are beneficial to more offense. You know, I'm with you, bud. I was really kind of skeptical about the bigger bases, and you touched on something I was going to ask you. Bigger bases and fewer pickoff attempts has led to more stolen bases or more stolen base attempts or both this spring. Like, buddy, I get that Maury Wills, Ricky Henderson, and Lou Brock are not walking through that door, but are you going to be more aggressive on the base pass this year as a result of those rule changes and some new opportunities? Well, I think if you know, I think every team's roster will dictate that. But, I mean, it's something that we're talking about. We're a club who doesn't have a ton of team speed, but we can take advantage of, uh, you know, certain pitchers' times of the plate. I mean, we're we're really harping on bigger leads and bigger uh, secondaries, and we're talking about some things on the stolen base side for sure. But there are rosters out there that have some team speed, and we've seen it already with – teams being aggressive in spring training and testing their limits, right? Because these are exhibition games, but it's sort of roster dependent on, on, uh, you know, the, the amount of the running game that's going to come into play, but it, it's definitely going to be there, Jim. It's definitely going to be there. And I think teams are, you know, you know, when this amateur draft comes and, uh, you know, for in the ensuing years, I think you're going to look at athletes with speed, I think scouts going to be looking for that, and I think more balanced rosters are probably uh, a thing of the future, as opposed to maybe just power and the hit tool. Huh. 
Another great point. But Block joining us. So, but before you go, and I still appreciate the conversation always, let me ask you about your team really quickly. You, obviously, last year, and you're not going to use it as an excuse, but the team was so busted up. You had so many injuries, and you're coming off a 68-win season. You're not looking to make excuses, but let me ask you, for instance, about Chris Bryant. He played only 42 games because he had back and foot issues. What's it mean to have the former MVP fully healthy, and how has he looked this spring? Yeah, uh, well, no doubt. I mean, when you you know a you know a team like us, uh, you we need all our guys, and we need them all clicking. And I think it starts with Chris. Uh, you know, to your point, MVP player. You look at his career stats. Uh, offensively, he's been a he's been a producer. Average on base scores runs, uh, you know, he figures to be the central point of our offense. And if he can do what we think he can do, it's going to, it's going to lift everybody. So far this spring, he looks great. He had a great winter. Uh, he's recovered from the back. He's recovered from the foot. Uh, he's swinging the butt. He's swinging the bat. Great. He's moving very well. So again, like all of us, we cross our fingers on all our players, but we're crossing our fingers with Chris that he can give us, you know, what he's done for the Cubs. And that was, a, you know, a durable player who produced, and we think it's going to happen. Yeah. Uh, the collectiveness of our team is what's going to have to happen. We, got some very, we have some pieces. We really do. But they're all going to have to play well. And you got to get some good breaks. You have to have some good breaks. And you had a bad break the other day with Brendan Rodgers. Hate to even go there, bud. But he, I mean, what a great story he was. Last year he got that gold glove. And just such a nice, nice player. He suffered that shoulder injury diving for a grounder last week. Is there any update on his condition? And what do you do if he's looking at surgery? Yeah, that's a, that's a, that was a crusher. That was. Uh, for sure. uh, again, I, in, in, in Brendan's case, gold glove, uh, you know, obviously became a preeminent defender at second. And I think the best of his offense was yet to come because he was, you know, dropped out of high school as a high school bat. And I think he was just starting to get there. But, Jim, he's going to be out for the year. Mm. Uh, surgery just two days ago, and he's, he's, he's going to be lost for the season. But, uh, you know, it's a, but that's part of, you know, what we do, right, in baseball. You gotta, it's a game of adjustments. It's, uh, it's often said in every sport, next man up, and that's where we are with that. So we're going to move McMahon to second. We'll figure out third base. But that was a tough blow because I think Brendan was really ready to take off. That is tough. That is really tough. So one last thought, bud. And again, I appreciate the time. How about my guy Kyle Freeland, a major asset still yet? He was your opening day starter, led the team or co-led the team with nine wins. What's his outlook for this season, and how are things shaping up for the rest of the rotation? Well, good uh, good spring so far for Kyle. He's now joined the WBC. He's part of that roster. Uh, he'll be pitching here in, in a, I think, a day or two following Adam Wainwright uh, for the United States team. It's a great feather in his cap that he was selected there. But, you know, Kyle, along with Herman Marquez, are the two guys that sort of lead our rotation. And they're very capable. When you heard me talk about pieces, I mean, it's those two guys, right? Kyle, uh, fourth in the Cy Young a few years ago. Herman, an all-star two years ago. Uh, on any given night, they can match up against anybody and, and, and win. Uh, the other parts of a rotation, Jose Urania, veteran, Austin Gomber, a lefty coming into his own, Ryan Feltner, a second-year player that uh, has a big arm, like a lot of big arms out there. Uh, if, he can, if he can put it together, 
uh, he can be he can sneak up on some sneak up on some teams and have a great year. So that uh, and we'll get Antonio Sensatella back, another uh, veteran guy coming back from an ACL repair. Uh, he'll be back in late April, early May to to uh, solidify our rotation. But and again, I think any successful team, as you know, starts with a, a starting rotation that's consistent and reliable and performs and. That's what we need out of those out of those guys. Still going strong. What a great baseball life. 15 years as a major leaguer. He won a world championship in 1985. As I mentioned, one of just five active managers with 1,000 career wins, a recent contract extension, and frankly, one of my favorite guys, Bud Black. Buddy, really appreciate you. Appreciate the friendship, the relationship. Always great to have you on the show, Bud. Thank you so much. Well, likewise, Jim. You're a, you're a pro, and I've said many, many times, you get it. And I think those of us in, you know, in these chairs appreciate you more than you know. So uh, all the best. And uh, I, I love talking to you every spring. It's a great tradition. And maybe at some point during the season we'll catch up again when the Rockies are rolling. Good night now!